there's a difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. And my gender expression since I've been little has been fairly tomboyish. And, and in our US Western culture, women are allowed to present more masculine as children and it's kind of cute, um, at least within our culture, right? So I remember sitting in the back of our pickup when I was probably six years old and my mom was like a my maids leader or something like that. Mm-hmm. And a couple of the girls were in the front of the pickup and they leaned over the seat and they're like, why do you sit like that? I was like, what are you talking about? Like, why do you sit like that? Like a boy. And I look down and I'm sitting kind of how I am today, right? Where my legs are a little bit wider, just like my brothers. And that's how I move through the world, right? Like since I've been a little kid, I've always been kind of like this tough little tomboy. Um, and, and as I grew up within Mormonism, I never quite really fit very well, right? Like I, I remember crying a lot if I had to wear dresses when I was young and I hated Barbies and all I wanted to do is like play with the boys and ride bikes and be a little rugrat. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything else was pretty traumatizing to me. Wow. Welcome to the Fist Transition Podcast. In this episode, I have an eye-opening and very informative conversation with Celeste Carolyn. Celeste is the executive director for Mama Dragons. She has a master's degree in business and is currently working on a master's in marriage and family therapy. She presents herself as a queer, lesbian, cisgender woman. She's worked with LGBTQ youth and nonprofits for the past 10 years. She and her partner uh, both come from non-accepting religious roots, LDS and evangelical Christianity. And this is what fueled Celeste's passion for understanding and serving the intersectionality of faith and parenting LGBTQ children. So I hope you enjoy this conversation and learn as much as I did. All right, Celeste. Well, welcome to the Face Transition Podcast. I'm really excited to have you on. I'm very excited to have the discussion we're about to have. And as always, I ask my guests to introduce themselves a little bit so that the audience may know who you are. Maybe in that intro, you can talk a little bit about your relationship with the LDS Church and at what point you know you decided that it wasn't for you and maybe tell us a little bit about uh where you are at today so that's a lot of things <laughs> okay we'll, we'll do one at a time i'll take it yes apart. yes tell us where you're from <laughs> i'll do the easy part my name yes. is celeste carolyn i'm the executive director for mama dragons and uh i i actually grew up in montana so uh rural montana kind of north of great falls in the middle of farmland right I grew up LDS, uh, Mormon, and super small community. I think there's 2,500 people that lived in my town. And so being LDS, there was probably like four or five kids my age. I think there was like 10 of us together in seminary. Um, but my my family was kind of had a rough go uh, when I was younger. And so the, the solidity of being Mormon and having kind of this extension of social and and kind of an extension of a family, right? So left, left home right after I graduated high school, 
uh, ended up moving 60 miles away to Great Falls, Montana, and kind of used the church kind of through that process to navigate finding roommates, having a home. And so it became very much a, like a social aspect of my life. Um, fast forward a little bit. I ended up in Billings, Montana, and I meet this amazing girl at Institute, become best friends immediately. And I end up living at her house. Um, while I'm living at her house, her parents decide that I should probably go to college. So in my family growing up, uh, education wasn't a key focus. And so college wasn't really on something on my radar. Uh, and they thought I should go to BYU, Idaho. So uh, I applied, I was kind of terrified because academia wasn't really part of my language. I didn't really know how it fit in. Um, I actually thought I was gonna fail out. I, I ended up getting accepted and going to BYUI. Um, so I get to school and my first kind of thing that was going on there is I, I lived in this house with 17 other girls. I don't know what I was thinking. And I meet my roommate there and uh, this adorable cowgirl and I am like smitten with this girl, like complete crush, right? And I ended up uh, telling her that I liked her and that I wanted to kiss her. And she told me she thought it was Satan. And we ended up going, uh, she wanted to go see the bishop and you know, the things that happen when you, I don't know, within Mormonism and being queer. Yeah. So kind of fast forward again, uh, I ended up making out of BYU, Idaho. I almost got expelled. I don't know if you know this, but I think this is still how it is today. But if you are, break the honor code within BYU, specifically for homosexuality, they can postpone you from transferring your credits or graduate until oh, you wow. repent. Did you know no, that? I had no idea. I had no idea. But you skipped a part here that so oh. at that point, if you don't mind me digging a little bit here, like at that point when, you know, you say you move into that house and you you see this cute girl and you have a crush on her, like did you were you aware of your attraction for a female at that point? Or is that when you realize moderately aware, right? Like so I uh, maybe I'll back this up a little bit too. Mm -hmm. So there's a difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. And my gender expression since I've been little has been fairly tomboyish. And, and in our US Western culture, women are allowed to present more masculine as children and it's kind of cute, um, at least within our culture, right? So I remember sitting in the back of our pickup when I was probably six years old and my mom was like a Maya maids leader or something like that. Mm -hmm. And a couple of the girls were in the front of the pickup and they leaned over the seat and they're like, why do you sit like that? And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, why do you sit like that? Like a boy. And I look down and I'm sitting kind of how I am today, right? Where my legs are a little bit wider, just like my brothers. And that's how I move through the world, right? Like since I've been a little kid, I've always been kind of like this tough little Tom boy. Um, and, and as I grew up within Mormonism, I never quite really fit very well, right? Like I, I remember crying a lot if I had to wear dresses when I was young and I hated Barbies and all I wanted to do is like play with the boys and ride bikes and be a little rugrats. Mm -hmm. um, and everything else was very traumatizing to me. Wow. And, and as I went through puberty, everything was normal. I had a boyfriend in high school. They're fine. Um, but when I was building relationships with women, especially I would say around 18, like 
they would be really, really close, right? Like I always wanted to be cuddling with them. I always wanted to be touching them. Like I always felt like I had this really strong emotional connection to women. And there was so much cognitive distance around my sexuality because there wasn't really space for that. Growing up in Montana as a Mormon, I didn't know any gay people. And the only thing I knew about gay people was that people talked poorly about anybody who might be gay. That was it. Wow. Um, I met a gay woman when I was like 19 and she's like, Celeste, I think you're gay. And I'm like, no. And she, she asked me these few questions. She's like, well, have you ever been in love with a boy? And I'm like, well, no, you know, like, but you know, I date a lot, whatever. Um, and, and I just, I couldn't even try it on, you know, How did, because of the context of, um, where you grew up in your community. So when, when this, um, woman you met said, you know, I think you're gay, like, how did you take it? Was that like, I found oh. it almost offensive. Okay. 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 <laughs> I was like, no, because it, it meant something so negative and derogatory. Okay. So you, right? were, like, you had all these negative association. Because yeah. There's of, no way I could even, I could even hold that. Were, was your family speaking about it or in, in any way or was it just ignore altogether? No, no, it was fairly ignored. The only thing that I think the first time it kind of came up is that best friend that I met at Institute. When I lived at her house, uh, the mom would often make comments about us potentially being gay, right? Like very negative. Oh, and negative. Like, so she wasn't yeah. open to it. No, no. Like, I'm sure glad you both have boyfriends or I'd be worried. Oh, okay. Um, things okay. like that. You know, uh, she was also LDS. And mm -hmm. so there was, and, and very conservative the family was. And mm -hmm. so there was definitely no space for any of that. Mm -hmm. um, so you, but you, you weren't like in love or anything with that roommate. You know, I try to go back and like try that on. And like, we had a really, really strong emotional connection. And I don't know, I, I can't really give it that label. I think mm -hmm. that like she was my best friend and right. I adored her more than anything. And there was always a draw mm -hmm. towards her. But I, I mean, at that time, like. That was, was just not a door that would have been open. Yeah, it wasn't then. something that I was willing to explore or mm -hmm. interested in exploring because it was like, that was dangerous. Like, yes. don't go down there. That's dangerous. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and when I went to BYU, that first roommate, like that was the first person I'd really disclosed that mm. like, I wanted to kiss her. Right. Mm -hmm. like, and I told her, like, I really want to kiss you. And and her first response is, I, you know, I think it's Satan. And I, my wow. heart felt kind of broken. I was yeah. like, oh, no. okay. I felt so rejected. Mm -hmm. uh, and we went and saw the bishop and the bishop was like, well, sometimes, you know, these feelings happen between sister missionaries and, mm. you know, it's kind of common and you guys just, you know, stay away from each other. Don't sleep in the same bed. Also, mm -hmm. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but uh, girls at BYUI, at least when I was there, like all, everybody slept in the same bed. Everybody's really touchy and cuddly. Mm -hmm. and. And I think part of it is there's not space to have that. Yeah. Boys or, yeah. Exactly. So it comes out in sideways ways, which yeah. I, you know, of course I loved. Mm -hmm. I was in, I was like, I'll cuddle with you all. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I ended up not really having the emotional and communication skills at the time to really address it with her, you know, like mm -hmm. I was pretty smitten with her mm -hmm. and there wasn't really space for me and I felt fairly rejected. And so the next semester I just ended up moving and I know I really, really hurt her. Mm. Um, because I wasn't able to really express what was going on and you know, being like, it's really hard to be really close friends with someone that you have strong feelings for. Yeah. Um, I and think so, we've all experienced that in some yeah. form. <laughs> so later in my experience at BYUI, I fell in love with another roommate. Um, same kind of thing happened again, where like, I just, 
every time we were cuddling, reading scriptures together in bed, like I just wanted so bad to kiss her. And so finally one night I told her that I really wanted to kiss her. And she told me she was having the same feelings. Okay. Oh, Mm it's getting juicy. So uh, we ended up kissing and it was amazing and horrible because there's so much shame and fear and guilt and like attached to it yeah because of the context yeah context and emotions and I I felt so upset that you know she was upset and I was upset um because we didn't really know how to navigate forward and we're in an Mm -hmm. environment that we're taught that we're broken Mm -hmm. um and it's a a danger because you can get kicked out of school Mm -hmm. so she Mm -hmm. she was a junior I think I was a sophomore in college and um so we we hit it um and we ended up being sent to the dean. Mm. Um, one of our roommates, I believe, turned us in um, for being homosexuals. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was horrible, right? Like uh, all those feelings of shame and fear kind of wrapped up of being yeah. like found out. Mm-hmm. So I like to call it that I was, uh, you know, kind of thrown out of the closet. Yeah. And uh, we, we didn't really know what to do. We kind of went back and forth about telling the truth or not. And um, when we were scheduled, the dean were scheduled at the same time. So we're sitting in the waiting room and they call my name first I go in and kind of just instinct took over and I lied I'm like this is not what happened we're just really good friends you know how it is at BYUI like everybody's touching and holding hands like I'm sorry someone took it that way Mm. um because I mean you 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 knew that I mean your future was kind of on the line here it was and and I don't know if emotionally I was ready to come out at that moment Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. uh, especially in that environment yeah, yeah. Like, it's like the most hostile environment ever. And yeah, like, you know, what's going on with BYUI, right? Pardon, BYU right now. Um, and just the, the pressure the students are feeling. And there's so much criticism of people. Well, if you're gay, why are you going there? Yeah. And I keep thinking, like, the majority of people come out in college. Like, they don't. Yes, know. They, they discover that. And then what? Like, exactly. they should leave like, because, yeah. And even if they don't know, do know, they're, they're probably not in an emotional space that they can explore, understand mm-hmm. what that means for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just like, every time I see something come out in the news, I'm like, oh, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. Like, yeah, it's upsetting. It's, um, this, yeah. I feel the same way. I feel the same and way. So um, didn't get kicked out of school, but went into kind of a deep depression after that because I, I have felt like I had no one to talk to, right? Like mm-hmm. I, nobody would understand and I'm smitten with this girl that's full of like shame and grief and, you mm-hmm. know, because there's not enough emotional space to really have a relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we ended up graduating. Um, we tried to have an open relationship for summer and I thought it was great. She was still not, not ready for it. And um, end up moving, she moves out to Boston uh, to go to, to do some additional schooling and I follow her mm-hmm. and we ended up living in Boston for, I think almost eight years. Oh, wow. So that was a strong, that, that was a, like your first like real relationship. And well, I wouldn't even consider it a real relationship because she was not willing to come out. Okay. So, so you were closeted to, together. Yeah. Okay. So I, was, okay. I would tell people I was gay, mm-hmm. um, but, I, but and people would be like, well, are you with your roommate? And I'd be like, well, no, because they're not out. Mm. Um, and, it, and it's just, it's one of those tricky things, right? Where there's no support from family there's no support from your religion there's no support mm. from your friends no at and that so, point does your family know or are you you still no, not out I, I kind of took a, a long sabbatical for my family okay. for a bit um you know I'm trying to think when I came out to them I guess I probably came out like somewhere in undergrad but it was kind of just like I'm gay get over it mm. Mm. <laughs> like moved on 
Yeah. Um, but, but at that point, like you, like do the relationships change or do they, what's their reaction? Well, in, I guess here's one relationship that significantly changed. I told you I was living with my friend's family before I went mm-hmm. to undergrad. Yes. Well, during breaks, I would go back to that family mm-hmm. um, because I kind of had a little bit of lost puppy in me mm-hmm. in my mm-hmm. early twenties where I really wanted the family. I really wanted to belong, but my family was um, having difficulties mm-hmm. and functioning. And so I'd kind of attach myself to other families. Mm. And so this family being very LDS, um, the mom uh, they have like something called Mother's Week at BYUI. Mm-hmm. Uh, she came to see her daughter and then spent some time with me while she was there. And she attended some classes with me. And mm-hmm. one of the classes was a social sociology class um, about social problems. Mm-hmm. And that specific class, the instructor talked about homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And he talked about a friend of his who had died by suicide. And that when uh, they were getting the body ready for burial they noticed that he had significant calluses on his knees like and talking to the family about like what is this and they're like well we think it's from praying and and that all he wanted was to not be gay Mm -hmm. anymore Mm -hmm. and and, you know and Stephen, like when he told the story just has so much compassion and love for this friend and Mm -hmm. and but maybe not really a true understanding of what that meant to be lds and and to be gay Um, but the mom after this class was so upset by what he had said and wanted to know why I didn't, as the vocal person I am, stand up and say something. As far as like what, in what way was she upset? She felt like she was, he was condoning homosexuality. Okay. Okay. That's what I thought. Yeah. And and she was really upset. I didn't say something. And, and I kind of challenged her on it. And I'm like, what are you saying? Like, like Mm. if one of your kids, let's say I gave an example of her oldest kid. If your kid would brought a a man home and was gay, you were saying you wouldn't accept him. And she was like, no, he would not be welcomed in in the home again. Um, And so to me, like, it was a year later that I, I had come out to her and it was really clear that there wouldn't be space in their family for me anymore. Mm. Like that's, that's tough. That's really tough. And, and, and that kind of was the case, you know, that like they found out that I was dating my roommate and they were really concerned and I kind of just separated myself from the family. I was like, I can't. Yeah. Deny who I, I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't, I can't pick you guys. Cause this is mm-hmm. like my livelihood of life. Yes. So kind of fast forward back to Boston. Um, my spirituality changed a lot from the time I came out or was outed at BYUI to kind of Boston. And, and I had, had stopped attending church uh, for the most part. Uh, I would go once in a while for social if my roommate was going. Um, they tried to reactivate me at one point and be the Sunday school teacher. And I told them I couldn't because I was gay. And they were super sweet about it. And they're like, that's okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can teach Sunday school. And I'm like, well, I can't actually, because like, there's not, I can't, there's not space inside me to teach Sunday school. Like yeah. I would feel like I was and, But it's, it's great to hear that um, there are places that are trying to, are trying hard to make space for, you know, um, <laughs> LGBTQ, like, and, and it's, it's, you know, again, it's like a church Russian roulette. Like yeah. when I was in Switzerland, I felt the same way. Like with me having changed in my beliefs, like, you know, the bishopric was still very kind and didn't want to release me from my calling. And I'm like, right. well, I can't teach this stuff anymore. But like, but I would it's okay, you, can't, you still can't do it. I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> because with homosexuality, right? So let's say you have an affirming bishop. 
Mm -mm. It's like, that's okay, Celeste. It's okay that you're gay. You can be active. We'll even give you a call, right? Let's say the state president is affirming and the state president's like, that's okay. You can be active. We'll give you a calling. Like it's still not enough. It's right? not You're because the hostile environment, yeah. whether they're accepting or not. Right. The, the bottom line is you you're absolutely limited in in how far yeah. you can progress, and it's not all it's not all encompassing and all accepting, right. and so it's useful. And, and other all that pressure from the bottom up is is healthy for the the cisgender or the people who are straight in the church to change, but it's really unhealthy, I think, for active gay and queer LDS people. So even the ones that you probably know of that are often out front and speaking and, and doing those things, there's an emotional cost for them to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So I just, I I feel conflicted about that, right? That I want spaces to be affirming and accepting, but until they absolutely are, it's not safe for people to be there. Oh, absolutely. I I agree with this. And I'm also grateful for the the people inside who are pushing those walls and, you know, uh, just trying to make it bigger and larger with, you know, the hope for them that one day they will be all encompassing, you know, uh, and and accept everyone. So you mentioned a few um, terms here that, you know, I think most people have heard, you know, cisgender meaning heterosexual, right? Uh, Cisgender Uh, means that you are um, whatever sex you were signed at birth. Mm-hmm. is the sex that you move through the world as okay so i was born uh, a girl mm-hmm. and i moved through the world as a woman or a girl and so i am a cisgender female okay all right well thank you for making that clarification no. i just kind of scoop it scooped it in with no, heterosexual no, no, no. <laughs> yeah no there's like there's other terms too that confusing right so i mm-hmm. actually identify as queer so i i primarily date women um but queer is kind of a a neutral statement that is all encompassing of either gender or sexuality. So I look at like, I I told you a little bit about my gender expression where I'm a little bit of a tomboy. I still am that way. Like it's just how I'm built. And you embrace that from the moment you were, I mean, it it was just who you are. It's not even about embrace. This is who I am. And, and I I don't know at what point or if always you accepted yourself being that way. Um, I don't know. I, I spent some good time when I was like, in my early twenties, hanging out with all the LDS girls, like they always try to like teach me how to walk like a girl or move like oh, a girl. Oh, really? <laughs> and that was it just, how was that for you? <laughs> it just doesn't work. It's like, it's, mm. it's such an interesting thing. Like when I wear a dress or if I put a dress on, which is something interesting with the Mormonism, I feel like I look like I'm in drag, mm. right? That mm. I dressed up as the opposite gender that I oh, feel interesting. so uncomfortable. Like, yeah. I'm like, this is just, it just doesn't fit who I am. Yeah. So, uh, Boston. So back in Boston, um, uh, relationship with my roommate is on and off, on and off all the time. Right. Um, I decide I, I'm going to start dating women. And so I, every time I start dating a woman or like get into a relationship with a woman, my roommate then wants me back. Oh. But there's so much like, just, Oh, it's, it's, when a relationship's not out, there's not actually room for a relationship to develop. It's almost like I would compare it to like an affair, right? An affair mm-hmm. is a relationship. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's almost like an artificially constructed relationship. Yeah. And, uh, and because my emotional needs weren't being met, um, I started to resent my, my partner, right? Mm-hmm. We try to talk about it and we break up and get back together and break up and get back together. And, and I just, finally, I was like, 
I just got to leave, you know, like I, I can't, I don't want to treat someone poorly that I, I love. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where it's heading, right. That I am, I'm, I'm resenting this person because I'm not getting my needs met. And I really don't think there's possibility for anything to change. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't want to let me go. So I ended up taking a job out in Seattle and um, move across the countryside. And when I arrived in Seattle, I wasn't active LDS. Then what year is this? Oh, like 2012 is when I moved to Seattle. So about 10 years ago, almost. And I uh, started dating a new woman and um, kind of was interested in social change, right? That I knew that I wasn't the only person that had gone through the scenario. And, and I've, I've always been really fascinated by organizational change and how to change organizations from the inside, from bottom up and also top down. And I came up with this kind of theory that I was like, well, I wonder if you could normalize just being out and gay in the LDS church, if the members themselves would then advocate for the change. Mm. Um, because so much of the issue is that in our, our culture and our world is that people of diversity, whether that be LGBTQ people or people of color, like if, if you're not around people of diversity, it's hard to be to truly understand. Empathetic. Yeah. Um, but your hostile environment basically has moved everybody away that's different. Right. And have their own narratives as what it it's, means, even though a lot of times they have no clue what they're talking about. Exactly. And, and so I came up with this plan that I would potentially go back with the concept of being fully out and that in people getting to know me within those first three questions that we do in the LDS religion, probably not just the LDS religion, but it happens there most often is that you meet someone, you figure out who they are, what they do for a living, because you're trying to measure yourself up to them. Um, and then whether they're married or not tend to be the first kind of three questions people ask within, especially um, when you're in your twenties and thirties, right? Yeah. They want to figure those things out. And so I decided I would just in those, that last question of like, whether I was married or not, I just tell them that I was gay and just mm-hmm. let them sit with it. Um, mm-hmm. And then try to build key relationships with people of influence within the community. Mm-hmm. So the, the local ward I was living in was West Seattle. And I had heard that they were accepting and there was a lesbian couple living there, but I think it was a miscommunication because <laughs> that lesbian couple was definitely not out. And the Bishop was not affirming whatsoever. And he was mm-hmm. just flabbergasted. Mm. I would uh, just so blatantly be out. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, so I was like, well, that's great for exposure though. I mean, it's very yeah. brave and, and yeah, I love that you, you did that. And for one second, like, like, do you understand the doctrine? Like, what are you talking about? And mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I understand. And he's like, you must not understand. Um, so uh, I was talking to someone else in the ward about, you know, being out and I'm like, well, you know, I think the bishops maybe not quite ready for it. And they're like, Hey, I heard about this other ward called the Elliott Bay ward out in Seattle that has a few gay people that are going and it seems to be different. And I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. So I, I jumped across the river because I don't think rules apply to me, especially within boundaries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, started attending at the Elliott um, Bay ward, which we have keyed from then as the Elliott gay ward. Cause I think it's funny. Um, and started attending there with the kind of the same purpose. And, and I became really good friends with the bishop and the bishop's wife and the state president. So they were all affirming. Kind of, right? Mm-hmm. It was bumpy. Mm-hmm. But I think the intentions were good. So the Elliot 
the Elliott Bay Ward covers an area in Seattle called Cap Hill or Capitol Hill, which is like the gayest thing. It's like second to San Francisco. Mm-hmm. It's just super, super queer and gay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a really high inactivity rate in mm-hmm. that ward. And a lot of those people are, because they live in Capitol Hill, are gay and queer. Mm-hmm. And so kind of at the same time that I'm doing this, the stake is trying to figure out a way to activate these people. And so a committee's pulled together and they do this whole big movement of trying to activate uh, queer and gay people. So I get roped into that um, and they try to create affirming spaces. And you know, it's, it's kind of tricky because some people are doing it for the reasons that they want the LDS culture to change. Some people are doing it because they want the queer people to change. Um, but what ends up happening is that they start making shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a special sacrament meeting where they invite specifically, they send a letter to all the inactives and, and call out that we believe that many are gay, lesbian or transgender and have been felt like there's no space in the church and we would like to invite you back. Mm. Um, and after we did that for about six months, we had in the Elliott, uh, Bay Ward, I think we had about 18 different out gay people attending. Mm. And at that time I had a girlfriend, um, that also attended the ward and, you know, we'd come holding hands in church every Sunday and sit on the front pew and just normalize it, normalize it. How did that, how did that go and how long did that work for? It worked, it worked until, uh, worked for a while but then the the state president started getting pressure from um upper levels yeah to <laughs> straighten up yes to, to, to toe the line and uh-huh. and it was really conflicting i think for everyone involved and and at the end you know he he ended up kind of going back and forth uh the state president was going to excommunicate me mm was not going to excommunicate me, was going to excommunicate me. Because he was probably having cognitive dissonance happening, right? Well, and I think that he, at the end of the day, was thinking, I'd rather have you close than kick you out. Like, that Mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is how it should be. Really, the goal to take care of you spiritually, like kicking you out, maybe it's not the best idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But... And some, you know, like some weird things happened along the way. I was supposed to go to girls camp uh, and help because I have a background in recreation and I love all that stuff. And mm-hmm. they didn't want me to go because I, uh, I was gay and that I would, you know, encourage the girls to be gay. And I'm like, well, nobody has to know I'm gay. And they're like, well, you look gay. I'm like, well, that's true, but <laughs> like, oh, that's know, so discriminatory. Yeah. And so we ended up having like some good conversations about like the attachment to thinking someone's gay and thinking they're unworthy and making assumptions. And there's just so many assumptions about everyone right wow and Uh, also it's not like it's a it's like a cold you can catch like i don't understand that yeah it's not how it works uh Mm -hmm. people right now think there's a trend that their Mm -hmm. kids are all coming out and it's a thing and i'm like well it's not really a thing well i I do have i do have questions like you you're bringing so many things and i have so many questions (laughs) so um, the concept of it being a trend is is almost like um i think a a really good correlation is being left-handed do you know that more people are left-handed now than ever and it's just that we quit punishing people for using their left hand. Yeah, that's true that it, it is, <laughs> it used to be a thing. I don't know if it is still now, but I, I do know my, my, my sister, my mom made her change hand when she yeah. was little because it so wasn't a good thing to be. Mm-hmm. 
one social construct, right? Like so much of what we know about gender and sexuality is a social construct mm-hmm. that, that was created through our language, right? Like how am I supposed to dress? How am I supposed to move is all made up. Like why does our world get to decide how I'm supposed to dress or move? Um, and, and that goes for any of us. And, and if you don't abide by that and that organically you are something different then you're cast out. Um, and, and so our world is changing and saying like, hey, this is bullshit, mm-hmm. and uh, that Sorry, <laughs> we're adults <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> and that, that I should be able to be authentic to literally how I was born and, and was raised. Like, like I was talking about since I've been a little kid, I've been this way. Mm-mm. And that no matter what I've tried, like nothing changes it. So this is just the way it is. Um, and, and also how beautiful is it that people have space to even question that and explore like, well, what if, you know, do I like girls? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I, now kids are, are coming out sometimes multiple times or like, you know, they're 10 and they're like, maybe I like girls. And then, you know, next month they're like, maybe I like boys. And the next month I'm like, well, maybe I'm trans. Some, some will say that there is a, a sense of confusion that has been that that is showing you know along with the trends and i'm i'm curious to to see what you also like the idea of introducing sexuality earlier and earlier that i personally too have i have issues with that uh with with introducing sexuality when a kid doesn't even think about it you know like introducing all the possibilities to because the way i see it is you know let them come to you with their question when they're ready don't bring up you know, things that they would not have thought about for many years ahead. Like, uh, you know, I, I heard that in some schools, they want to start first grade talking about well, the different type of gender and sexuality and whatnot. It's like, isn't that something you you personally didn't care about when you were that age? I mean, I don't mean you uh, as you, but like, generally speaking, because I mean, I didn't think about that when I was six. Like, I didn't care either way or it's just let kids be kids and not worry about such things until they come to a point where it, it would matter. In, in Can the... I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. When, when was your first little crush? How old were you? Can you remember who it was? Oh, my goodness. Um, I remember my first kiss and I was like probably 10, 11-ish. 10, 11. And did you have any little crushes before that on boys or girls or whomever? Honestly... I don't really remember. I'm sure there were like little sparkles here and there, yeah. but you know what I mean? But, and also like you have the best friend thing really close, but there's nothing sexual and you just, you just kind of, you move through it in a very natural way where there was not really discussions about it. Like at least right. in my environment. Think about every cartoon you watched or Walt Disney show you watched. Yes, yes. Yeah. That and is definitely like kind what of you a, romanticized and that like is that is definitely about. kind of a brainwash where I mean it goes it into your subconscious where that's the way it's already to be, been but- predetermined what you're supposed to look like, what it's supposed to be like, who you're supposed to be with. Right. As you mm-hmm. move to life, um, you know, as a teen especially or entering those preteen and teen years you project yourself that way and maybe you didn't because you didn't feel that way you know I don't know it's a child right that you're you are taught to play mom and dad and mimic these behaviors and that there's no opportunity to mimic anything else but more and more today that's being dismantled right and yes. and 
kids do see that. And I think it's great that they see that there are many different possibilities, just like there are many different people in the world. But to to formally introduce it, like in, in school and stuff, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that, like at such a young age, you well, know? Uh, so uh, Jamie is my partner and mm-hmm. amazing, right? Uh, she was married before and has three adult children, which I kind of claim is my own children. Mm-hmm. And we all are really close. Um, her oldest daughter lives just nine miles from us and has four babies. So we have four grandbabies. Mm-hmm. Um, the oldest is turning seven next week. And, and she's the most adorable kid in the world and is smitten by everything and everyone. Every week, it's a new either cartoon character or someone. Mm-hmm. And all she dreams of is getting married someday. Mm-hmm. And so she has two gay grandmas and in an accepting environment, right? That, that there's space for whatever. Like, mm-hmm. so when she tells me every week she has a crush, I always ask her like, well, who's your crush with? Is it a boy or girl or something else? Mm-hmm. And, and it's usually a boy. And she's like, I think I like boys, but there's, there's no assumptions that it would be anything. Right. Mm-hmm. That it's like, and, and as she's learning about like, like sex is uh, up on the table, right. To learn about sex. Um, she's asked me like, well, like, so if mommies and daddies are needed to make babies, you can't have, like her brain is like, yeah, how, how does it work? Um, and so there is like this, like the concept of like sex and sex education, I think is so important that we address it based upon the age group it is, but by making it only heterosexual, you're saying that anything else is wrong. Right. And that's not what I'm saying. Like, I'm just all encompassing, you know, when is the right time to introduce all of that? When do they have the maturity? And and it def- it depends on the kids, right? But and, I would in the yeah, concept of like homosexuality, right? Like like the kids get it quicker than adults do, right? Like so, you know, because the they don't they don't care. They, they just don't, don't care. care. And, and so you're introducing it as the concept of of just as anything else, right? Like the, mm. in the same appropriateness as anything else. Um, like do Jamie and I kiss him from the kids? Absolutely. Like it would be the same as we would if we were heterosexual. Do we hold hands? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It would be the exact same if we were heterosexual. And so it's the same rules, I guess. But the, the concept of even just talking about it is really important because every little sideways comment that we make around gender or sexuality, children pick up on it. Um, the, the sideways comment of being like, I can't believe that man is dressed like a woman, right? Like that, that is telling a child what's okay and what's not okay and, mm-hmm. and building values. Um, I know that sex education is, especially in the queer community, is like one of the areas that's so lacked, mm-hmm. um, especially because if, let's say, your, your kid comes out as gay and they're, they're dating girls, so a lesbian. So what in your, um, from your research and what you know, what is generally the time when kids will choose or find out you know, that they're gay or like what's the earliest that generally depends on what it is but most people that let's say have a a varying gender um usually know between the age of five and eight people that are uh, let's say have a a different sexuality have a different sexual orientation generally know around adolescence Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um and and some inkling right like you can trace it back Mm -hmm. Uh, and then also there's the variation in between that um both these topics aren't binary whatsoever Right. That's, that's where it gets really complicated because there's just so many 
variation within right. one or, or the or other. We complicate it because we want to make it binary, I guess. It's kind of what I think. I don't know because from, you know, and I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Um, you know, I, again, I always say one of my kids could come out and, I, and they know, they know that they are in a very, very safe environment. They know that we are accepting, like we, we love them regardless. There is going to be no pushback. There are exceptions to when we when it become more drastic and stuff it's like okay when you're an adult you make those decisions I'm not making them for you (laughs) here's some some, maybe mm -hmm. some data for you so as the executive director of mom and dragons Mm -hmm. um I I there's a I just really love data right like I love Mm -hmm. to know what's happening how do we address that um and not make it so this is what I know is that eight percent of our mom and dragons their kids are 10 and under Mm-hmm. And that's somewhere in the LGBTQ spectrum, ages 11 to 14. That's 28% of our mom and dragons. The mm-hmm. ages 15 to 18 years old is 40%. 19 to 25 is 36. And then it kind of goes down from there. And so you're really looking, you know, the majority of these kiddos that we're supporting are between the ages of 18 and 25. I mean, 11 and 25. Okay. Yes. And that's so back to that adolescence comment. Right. And that to me is where I think, you know, even 11 would be like kind of the right time to expand more maybe on all the different concepts and whatnot. Like, but prior to that, I would just let them be, you know, I would not bring up to their little brains things for them to worry about or think about, because even though you may present it as, you know, it's, it's okay. And, you know, this is something that, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but I feel that if a child is too young, like an immature to even understand those abstract concepts, it's bringing into their little brain stuff that they would not care or worry about if we hadn't just put that, you know, those ideas in them. Maybe. And, and I feel like in today's world, and it, I think it goes along with the, the flood of information that we get. We, we have so much information in t- today's day and age, good and bad. Information is not, it's, it's not bad to have a lot of information, but... I don't know. There's just so many messages on all sides. And sometimes I feel like less is more and just let them be, let them discover, let them, you know, without trying to influence one way or the other until, you know, until they come to you with their questions, until they come to you because they want to know. Having space, that's number one for me, like have space, know that no matter what, they're loved, they're accepted, like period. That's just where we're at. But But then that's not enough. Because of the, the world. and I'm talking, I'm talking small children, right? Yeah. I'm talking like maybe ten and under. But even in that concept, as they're developing that sense of self, like unless there's an affirmation that other types of people are okay. Um, so in the concept of like having a non-binary friend or a trans friend at school, them understanding that, I don't. But, think but how 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 do they understand that? What why is it not just a person? Why do, why do they need that. explanation as to, you know, why do we need to dissect what that person is instead of that's your friend and period. Yeah. You love them, you accept them. Like, I feel like we, we may tend to want to give too much information too quickly instead of just letting things be sometimes. With I guess let's say that was true is if that's what we did with cisgender and straight people, but we've already created a subset of rules for everybody else that children already understand we've already created something else that's normal. And so then now this over here is abnormal. 
I see what you're saying. Um, from my perspective, I do see that it's growing. Most, you know, movies today or whatnot, you know, not maybe not most. I mean, there's still a lack, but we'll include a gay couple or, you know, someone that's different, you know, that's, uh, I don't know what, what term to use, <laughs> but you, you, you can tell that they have their own personalities. They're not the norm. I yeah. think it's kind of those messages that we used to receive that were black and white, you know, man and woman, this and that, like that's changing. That's changing in, in like, which I think is really healthy. Absolutely. And, absolutely. And so they, absolutely. And so they pick up on that. The, the, you know, the kids see that, you know, whether it's in, in uh, commercials or whatever, they, they pick up on that and they learn. I mean, they assimilate just like we assimilated, you know, that love is between a man and a woman and this and that. Like we subconsciously assimilated that and wanted to reflect. And so I think that they may see themselves in these different people and, you know, assimilate that. And I don't know, I feel like at some, and you, you do talk about it. I'm not saying don't talk about it. Like I just am seeing, you know, when is the, the right time and it should be a progression too. And mm-hmm. my, I guess my concern and, and what I've heard other people say, uh, you know, trying to try to understand everyone's perspective. Openness is not a question to me. It's, you know, being open and, and having that space for whatever your child is, or maybe yeah. that's the bottom line. Like they no, have to know that this. they're in a safe environment. But then getting a little better because there's more visibility for people mm -hmm. to say, oh, like there's space for me to be, have different gender expression, but there's still significant issues, right? That, Mm -hmm. so here's, here's some recent statistics. So transgender people have a 47% lifetime rate of non-suicidal self-injury compared to heterosexual people uh, of only a 15%, right? In a national study, 40% 40% of transgender adults report of having made a suicide attempt. Uh, and 92% do, of those are before the age of 25. Do you know what are the main causes of that? Yeah, essentially the, the causes of, of that are verbal harassment, abuse, um, victimization. Mm-hmm. Um, like we still have a significant issue within the LGBTQ community of youth homelessness that mm-hmm that when kids are coming out, parents are saying it's a choice and to get out of my home. Right. And these, these messages definitely need to be, I mean, to, to be out. So the family, the family setup needs as early as possible to teach. I mean, we have to teach just like, it's the same with racism. You have to teach your kids that there are different people that you need to be accepting, you know, um, at their level now. And, And parent acceptance is the number one indicator of decreasing suicidal ideation within mm-hmm. queer LGBTQ children. Um, and here's another interesting t- statistic. So socially transitioned transgender children who are supported in their gender identity um, have developmentally normal levels of depression and only minimal levels of elevation of anxiety. So essentially like you're, like if you're allowing children to socially transition, their anxiety goes down to normal levels instead of having this child who's suicidal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you're like, we're talking about subjects specifically to children and you, it, it's easy to say like children shouldn't be able to do any of this until they're adults, right? Like, like I can't believe you're letting them change their name. I can't believe you're letting them change their clothing. But I think it's a whole different case when you're watching your child literally die inside. Yeah. I'm not talking about, you know, closing and stuff like that. Like, you know, but like personally, like in, um, yeah, I can only speak for myself because everyone has maybe different 
they they sit at a different space. Like so, for me, like clothing and stuff like that, I would never be an issue. What about uh, and so, pronouns? Pronouns are not even that wouldn't be a big deal to me. What would be a big deal is surgery. <laughs> it's like right. I would personally but, not want to take that responsibility. Surgery, that's not a. <laughs> and, and it doesn't mean I would not accept them even when they do it. It's just that that's that's too big for me. Like I would not want to take that responsibility on me. Uh, I would I would like support it every like, other way. I would support it in, in as many other ways as I can to to support whatever they they feel like they are and they want to be. But I would not go as far as allowing before. I would want that. I would I would be like that's going to be your decision when right. when you can do I mean, it. take it, <laughs> not mine, because I would have to sign to uh, you know. Unless for, there's for, like something very drastic, surgery isn't allowed until somebody is 18 or over. Generally, it's recommended hormone blockers, and so you can stop puberty where it's at until a child's able to be old enough to decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just I just feel like it's too big of a decision that I would not want to be taking that kind of decision for my child, you know what I mean? And I'm also thinking, like, at least from my perspective, I think as gender roles are um, deconstructed and we're able to live in a more non-binary world, world mm-hmm. where um, the concept of you being or having value isn't based upon having a penis or vagina, mm-hmm. right? That it, it's people are seen as humans. I honestly think we'll have less gender variation and we'll have less risk of youth. You know, that so much of this pain is caused by this, this social construct that we've created in this world of, of having this binary concept. Um, yeah, binary concepts are, are always, in my opinion, detrimental because we are diverse we there there is spectrums in just about everything um and and to want to you know strictly categorize but we also need communication we need language we need to be able to understand you know in order to to understand each other we do need words and so and and that's where it gets tricky because again like even with cisgender see i i simplified i'm like oh cisgender heterosexual no there's more to it you know and that's where People get confused Um, in the LGBT community because there's so much verbiage, right? They're like, oh my gosh, LGBTQIA plus. Yeah. And part of that is exactly what you're talking about is that that people want a a language that, you know, explains what they feel or who they are, who they love. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's value to that, to find identity and to communicate that right like I I communicate and I'm queer but I'm in a lesbian relationship I use the word lesbian so you understand that I date women Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. but where I live in Seattle and the way I move the world I don't have to explain that because I live in a non more of a non-binary world right that being queer is not abnormal and people don't even it doesn't even it's not even a thing and so you don't even have to explain it (laughs) right but then like I didn't ask you to explain. I mean, that's how you no, no, introduce no. yourself. No, but I mean, like, um, and and that's where I think that's where more understanding is maybe needed. Where when do you, you know, like I have friends who have, you know, they them kids that wants to go by they, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah. and to me, honestly, it's confusing. It's like why not choose a name? I guess it's you can't have a name. You do have a name, but then it's just it's just okay how do you go about that just tell me <laughs> like let's just say i'm language? ignorant and how do you go like is it in a sentence like you have people in a room and you're gonna be like okay this is uh you know this is alex and they want to 
you know, but how do we differentiate that from they, everyone in the room wants to dot, dot, dot. Like this is where to me, and I'm, I like linguistics. I mean, I speak several languages. I get a little, <laughs> I'm like, how, 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 would, how do we go about this? You do realize how tricky it becomes just to communicate with demands I, I like that. It's because we've learned that uh, you have to use gender and part of the identity and, and speaking about people. But if you can remove that and use someone's name instead, or practice, like a lot of parents, when their kids say, hey, you know, I want to use they, them pronouns, it's really tricky for them. Um, the parents really struggle with changing the vernacular. And one of the things that they found is really, really helpful is to stand in front of the mirror and talk about your kid and practice using the pronouns. And, and then when they get it wrong, and let's say they use the incorrect pronoun, is to identify that. Because the, the research says that pronouns are really important to kids. Uh, that if they say, hey, I'm non-binary and can use these pronouns, that using a preferred name or preferred pronouns in dress, like changes the mental health of your child. Um, and, and even let's say in those rare cases where they're just trying it on and seeing how it is, the reality is that they move through growing up a bit, um, they will probably move back to, let's say a different pronoun if they feel more comfortable. Um, but the, the support that they receive from being a parent to identify that and say, hey, we love you enough to go and, and be uncomfortable to use a vernacular that, that feels tricky is pretty powerful to a child. So that it's, it's one of those things that you're saying like, hey, it doesn't quite fit in our linguistics of using they, them. Um, I guess oh. it, it would be like American, Blacks American wanting to switch to African-American at some point yes, in time. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> that, I think that's a really good example of being like, okay, like who is it for us to say that we get to choose for you, how you're going to be addressed. And, and, yes, and, well, and, and what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is not so much like using that. I mean, it could have been something else that's maybe more distinctive. And I'm playing the devil's advocate a bit here. Like but how, the, because, how does the community because, land on they, them? Is that yeah, the because, because they also means all of you. It does. All of you all of you in this room you all of you 10 people so Sometimes. it does it does create yeah i mean if there's 10 people in a room and you are they who's they are we talking about you know what i mean like this is this is the kind of confusion i'm talking about like no it's not it's not even it's not even personal to like what they are what they want to be it's like this in my mind as a foreigner who speaks four languages and, and put a lot of importance into wording because it puts clarity in my brain this confused the hell out of me yeah. if I like it gives me like a bit of anxiety even <laughs> because, in that case, then because, because when I start speaking I can I continuously have to specify well I'm talking about these they and not that they and not this person and you know what I mean like can we simplify like can you can yeah. we like make each other's life easier by simplifying you know because accommodation is good and important but it can also get to a point where this is bringing more confusion than it's helping. You know what I mean? Like, and this is where I'm, I don't know. I think, I think a lot of people don't even know how to word this. Like this is something that's tricky and, and it, it's, it's different than uncomfortable because, you know, I don't agree with, you know, who you want to be. Can we just simplify things and how do we do this? <laughs> you know, instead of sometimes accommodation can be, can get to a point where, 
it creates more problem than it brings solutions. I think I on know. this one, it's, it's fairly easy though. You can just use their bloody name. <laughs> well, right. But like, if they want to be called they, well, and them, people, when they use they, them pronouns, you can replace a pronoun with a name at any time. I think in your concept, if you're trying to abide by the grammar rules, um, if that's uncomfortable to you, then just use their name. Yeah, it's still confusing. <laughs> anyways, anyways, I will learn. And this is why I, I have you on because I am like, okay, tell us how we can do this, you know, in a better, uh, a better understand. So now if you, if you don't mind maybe going through all the letters that we should know and understand, like just briefly, you know, LGBTQ, and then we have, you know, the plus, what does the plus stands for? Okay. You know, and I know it's, it's like, you have a whole course on it, <laughs> right? Probably. Yeah, yeah. We do have a whole course on it. Um, so, right, the lesbian, most of us know that it's uh, a term for a woman who's sexually and or emotionally attracted to another woman. It isn't have to be, I just want to have sex with them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think sometimes people simplify relationships to being just sex. But as we know, as adults, being in relationships, emotional relationships are just as important as sexual. Um, gay refers to a man who is sexually emotionally attracted to other men. I have a hard time with this because I don't know why gay men need a different word than lesbian women because it's all the same thing. Oh, so basically, you can use gay for anybody. Okay, but, but you can't use lesbian for everybody. <laughs> Another thing that the patriarchal world continues into uh, uh. sexuality right there. Um, so transgender can be really confusing for people. So the transgender term is actually can be an umbrella term for people of diverse gender identity, but it's also used to describe specifically a person whose gender identity is different than what they were assigned at birth. Okay. Um, and then we go from whether and, and to clarify here, whether they, you know, they go through a sex change or not, right? Because that can be like yeah. transgender, you don't have to have no, not completely. Mm -hmm. uh, surgery has nothing to do with being transgender. Mm -hmm. Generally, people are going through surgery because uh, the discomfort in their body is so painful for them mm -hmm. that they need to change their body to literally exist. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes when people talk about the fear of surgeries and people changing their bodies and all this stuff, I'm like, I think people often don't know what they're talking about, that I'm like, people are in so much pain that they're willing to go through that. I mean, and, and we know that throughout cultures and society, like being transgender, being gay, like this is not a new phenomenon. And the history out through, throughout time where you're murdered for these things. Mm -hmm. So that, that you're saying like, you're in so much pain, you're willing to be like killed for this. Mm -hmm. um, queer is uh, a reclaimed word. It used to be a negative that the queer community uh, repurposed. Um, and it's also kind of an umbrella term, and it refers to anyone who's not straight, not cisgender. Mm -hmm. um, questioning, uh, the Q can also, uh, in LGBTQ, can also be questioning someone that doesn't know, uh, know yet what their sexual orientation or gender identity is. Um, so do, do people call themselves Qs? Uh, no, not necessarily. But, you know, like if you said what's, you know, your identity and you had LGBTQ, uh, people do refer questioning. Mm -hmm. um, as a, a response. Um, intersex is really interesting um, because this is also really confusing because we in the, in the queer community have smashed gender and sexuality, which are very different things into one big lump, um, but they're, they're, they're like very separate buckets. And then we have intersex, which is kind of its own interesting bucket. And 
it's a, it refers to people who have naturally biological traits such as hormone or uh, genitalia that don't match either specifically male or female or both. Um, and it's, and again, it's a natural occurring trait, which I kind of love in Mormonism, right? Where it's a very binary men are men, women are women. And, you know, we know that people aren't necessarily created that way. Sometimes people are created as both or neither, or kind of some of like an Aphrodite or what's up. Is it Aphrodite? What do they call when you like born yeah. with both? Um, and it is not necessarily just genitalia, but it could be hormonal levels. Um, or internal organs, or there's lots of variations. Um, so the A stands for asexual, um, which is sometimes referred to as ace, like if your kid says they're ace. And that's also an umbrella term used for people who experience or low levels of sexual desire or no sexual desire. Um, but is, that, is that an ongoing thing? Is it something that occurs, you know, maybe in a time of your life and then it changes or is it like menopause? permanent? Or is it permanent? Like if you call yourself it's, it's an asexual person, permanent. it's permanent, huh? Yeah. So it'd be more of like, oh, so is, it, is it a condition or? No, it wouldn't be um, it, like, it wouldn't be something in the DSM-5 or something you would like. Uh, be treated for. No, um, it would be just the way you're built. Um, yeah. And, it, and it's fairly common that people, um, who are asexual uh, doesn't mean that they don't want a romantic relationship or connection, but they don't uh, want sex. They don't want sex. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a can also stand sometimes for people who are ally. Um, and then we go into the plus. So the plus is kind of all the other letters that have been more specified when we're talking about language and being able to like identify what people are and understand them. Uh, and so there's lots of different words like pansexual, demisexual, um, uh, non-binary genderqueer like okay all what's uh, tell i mean I, I i know there is a lot but whatever yeah. you can explain a little bit like pansexual what's that uh pansexual is essentially um someone who is sexually and romantically attracted to people regardless of their sex or gender identity so you'd be interested in men trans men trans women women like it, parts don't matter so and so how is that different from bisexual a bisexual would be men or women no trans right okay okay and then you said something else after pansexual. oh demisexual is someone who say that again demi D demi okay so demisexual means that um you can't be sexually attracted to someone unless you have an emotional bond so you can't just see someone and be like oh i really like them and i'm attracted to them um, you would have to create like an emotional connection with them first to feel any sexual attraction. Okay. So I, I think that's me. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's pretty common, but that's, you think about that in our society. Um, it's assumed that people see someone and they want them and that's attraction. Mm. Um, but being demisexual is very different. Think about dating, you know, for someone to know that about you, that you need an emotional connection to even know if you're sexually attracted to them. It's kind of important. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then uh, I've used the word non-binary quite a few times talking about things and essentially non-binary first people who their gender identity falls outside the normal male or female. Um, and it, it basically says that they don't care don't, or they don't want to be they don't put in that 
Um, and it could be sometimes one more than the other or both, or there's variations underneath that of being non-binary. Mm -hmm. And so would that be like, quote unquote, the trend today that people kind of don't want to be assigned basically anything, but just being that kind of explore, exploratory phase or, cause I mean, I, I see it cause I mean, I have two teenagers and you know, they, they go to this gigantic high school and it seems like more and more, uh, and maybe it is because it, you know, that we've opened the doors for people to kind of express themselves without shame more, but that you would see more youth not wanting to be categorized, you know, I mean, again, when I say more, it's still a minority, right? Let, let's yeah, be clear about that. But you see a big, you know, the group expanding on, you know, the youth who are, I don't know what I am. And I, you know, and I'm going to be dating whoever I want. And, um, you know, I'm going to paint my nails and put some makeup on, but I, I don't want to be called this or that. And, you know, like, it's just kind of an exploratory. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that, let's say when I grew up, people called me a tomboy, right? Because that was mm -hmm. the language at the time to right. describe me. Mm -hmm. uh, today, maybe they wouldn't call me a tomboy. Maybe mm -hmm. people be like, oh, Celeste is just a little non-binary. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. To me, it's the exact same thing though. It's not like my behaviors would change either way. Mm -hmm. So here in this case, I would say there is a positivity in the evolution of the language. <laughs> See, I, can, I, I still struggle with the pronouns, but... Yeah. In this well, situation, I think it, it is good to clarify because this actually, to me, in my perspective, it if we it shows that we've evolved, that we can, you know, name and understand as a whole, you know, the commonality, you know, more more. Like there's people who maybe not don't understand what non-binary means, but right. But, but when it becomes kid, more common. If if boys express the same variation in their gender expression as I did and they were more flamboyant, more feminine, more interested in feminine things, walked like a girl. Um, they would put it was, down. That would be completely negative, yeah. right? And they'd be bullied and harassed. And I think the concept of being non-binary is allowed more space yes. for more children and to grow up into adolescence to be more authentic. And, so and to be themselves. Yeah, I love if, that. If you're saying it's a trend. I, don't, I would disagree because to me, a trend is something that is is almost falsified that you're like, we're doing this because everybody else is doing it. Mm -hmm. um, and I disagree with that. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that people being able to express their gender identity in a way that feels authentic to them is just really beautiful. And I hope it expands even further. Okay. I mean, that's totally legit. <laughs> Again, I mean, my brain is, is still deconstructing a lot of the concepts and things that have been placed in me, even though I'm out and I'm, I, I consider myself accepting, you know, um, I, I do realize that I do have a lot of growing to do. That's why, you know, I have you on and I want to educate myself and, and those listening because I, I need to kind of think deeper on that as far as like the trend, because yeah, and maybe we can have a follow-up conversation when I have clarified in my own brain what I see with that and, and what other people around me are seeing and I should have maybe been a little bit more prepared with no that's okay with, think, with, with specific questions I think the concept of trend too also falls into the old dialogue that parents would use that this is a phase 
So your kid comes out when they're 10 or 11, they say they're gay and they're like, well, you know, it's probably just a phase. And the phase, maybe it is. We as children want to be astronauts and farmers and all these things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but it also discredits when it's not. When you're yes. actually a vulnerable truth that you're terrified to tell someone that mm-hmm. you think you're going to be rejected upon. And then when you say that truth and someone's mm-hmm. like, it's just a phase that says it's not valid. And maybe that's where it is for me, because uh, if it's, you know, quote unquote, a trend and more people are trying to be what they are, are not deep inside, maybe it allows room for those who actually are to, to also express themselves the way they are. So that can be a very positive thing. Is there a negative thing? Maybe not. So even if it's a trend, it's like, uh, well, if it's a trend, you know, your okay, boys okay, want to so, wear makeup for a while and they decide later they don't want to wear makeup, I don't think uh, it's really going to hurt them. Okay. So, okay. So where maybe there is concern, okay, that because that's, I think that's where I, w- I wanted to get at is where they may be concerned is the confusion and emotional stress or that some youth may have when they, I guess, don't know, maybe some youth have issues creating their own set of values or their own set of something grounding that sometimes seems to be not existing. Like, but does it need to be like, like, like I'm not accepted, but I don't know what I am. And I don't know. There is sometimes I I see in some some children deep seated confusion, and I can't quite pinpoint, you know, how to go about helping them find themselves in this world. Because it's like, yes, we live in a more open world, and I want to express myself that way, but yet I feel rejected, and yet, you know, but yet I don't know if I'm this or that, and it's like just confusing. What you know, in French we say what you don't see clearly in your brain, you can't express clearly. And I think that's where I am. Like, I, I probably can't see clearly what I'm trying to express. So it doesn't come out. But you haven't seen this. You haven't seen groups of people, I mean, who of youth specifically, teenagers specifically, who are kind of just floating, confused, not really knowing how to move in this world, you know. I would, I would say that's true of most adolescents and teenagers. Like all of them. But th- right, like what you're describing to me is part of growing up mm. and, and trying to figure out who we are, which we overcomplicate because generally who we've been is the same people we've been since we've been two or three. Yeah. And then we try to change to fit, you know, certain we norms. Do. And, or, and then as we grow yeah. up, we realize that that's not necessary and we become our authentic selves. And that's yeah. a, our coming to age story. Yeah. And, I, and I think that the fear is, it sounds like that, if we give people too many possibilities that they won't get there. And I just yeah, maybe that's what I'm trying to say is, you know, just like being at the grocery store and having like a hundred different kinds, you know, I grew up in Europe, we have like, I don't know, 20 cereals <laughs> and it's fine because it, my brain can handle that. But then you go here and it's like, you have a hundred different kinds and you're like, you know, so like a bit overwhelmed and I don't know, maybe they're all good, maybe not all of them, like, I don't know. You have to kind of navigate. <laughs> From my perspective, I think it's quite beautiful that people we'd even get to choose were in our past, not even that long ago. And, and within the Mormon culture specifically, there really isn't a choice. Yeah. You either pick up the one thing yeah. or you don't play. 
Yeah. I wanted to share a few things with you. So in the transgender community, there is a high population of people that also are autistic. So it's not saying autistic people are then therefore Mm -hmm. transgender. I'm saying in the transgender community, a significant amount are autistic. See, that adds another level to everything. It does. I just wanted to, because your brain, I wanted your brain to wrap that around too. So I have a niece who is autistic and is Um, non-binary. Sometimes they then pronouns right now is using um, male pronouns uh, as change their name. Mm -hmm. And I, I know like their parents are, by the way, phenomenal mm-hmm. parents. And, mm-hmm. but I know within Jamie's family and that there's some concern, you know, they're like, well, how do they know, you know, how mm-hmm. do they, mm-hmm. how, it, there's that question of like, does your child know themselves well enough yep. to, to be able to express this, especially when uh, they're autistic or there's other things going around or not around going, going on. Um, and I guess it always comes back to me is that I just always go back to the data that the, if you look at some of the really good data that's out there, the longitudinal academic data is the best thing you can do is just accept and love them for exactly yeah. how they say who they are mm-hmm. like over and over and over again. That's what it says. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, that's, that's kind of the final answer. It's yeah. saying basically like, do your best to maintain boundaries and to teach them amazing principles about how to treat other people. Yes. Yes. And, and let them have some space to figure this out. Yeah. That's the bottom line for, for it is. Sure, it's for really, sure. and, and to not make assumptions about anybody else and, and by not making assumptions, you give space for other people that exist the way they need to. Um, because I, I think of like the privilege I have of being born female and being able to be a tomboy. Like if I was born male and I was feminine in Montana, I don't think it would have ended well for me. Because mm. there, there was a harsher... A much um, harsher reality. Mm-hmm. Or even that, that concept of assuming someone's sexuality based on their gender expression. Mm-hmm. Um, we make assumptions that men that are uh, more emotional, more flamboyant would necessarily be gay, but that's not true at all. Oh, uh, that, yes, for yeah, sure. Like, I mean, hopefully most people know that by, t- you, you know, would think they- that they know that, but they really don't, mm. you know, they don't because of the way they, they treat other people, their assumptions they make. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's, I think it's super important to, to educate as much as possible and to, you know, widen, yeah, just awareness and education. And even for myself, like I've learned today, I've learned and I, I, you've pushed some areas in my brain where I need to do some work. I need to dig deeper and where does the discomfort come from, you know, and also what I can't express clearly, I need to dig into that so that I can express really what is it that I'm struggling with or, or not understanding. And, you know, and, and I hope that that's what it will do for the audience, that yeah. they will be able to, be more aware and then also explore those areas where okay i'm uncomfortable with this why is it why is it when it's your own kiddo then mm-hmm. it's somebody some you know of course you're accepting of course and then your kid comes out and tells you something and you're like or you, you've been seeing your kid who is bright and beautiful and amazing start to go to the adolescence and they're sad and depressed and you're scared if they're gonna live or die 
Uh, mom and dragons i've witnessed that too where they you know they have they are accepting and they are affirming and they talk about these things and then their kids still feel uncomfortable coming out or saying it Um, and is it the community then or is it sometimes it's family or 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 just like yeah like you think you think about the greater world like Mm -hmm. i still have to worry about what country i travel to and what Mm -hmm. you know how i treat my partner and yeah what president we're going to have and and what my rights are going to be and and try being like a 15 year old and handle all that. Yeah, no, it's real, it's real concerns, real issues. And that's why, again, we need to have that conversation and we need to have as many families and people as possible holding those space and, and being there and, and, you know, so that these kids can feel more comfortable when and if they need, you know, to be, to be seen and heard. So the next time we'll talk more about, you know, Mama Dragons and then Parachute and what you want, what you're doing with that. And thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Face Transition Podcast with Celeste Carolyn. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. Stay tuned for part two, where Celeste will talk to us more about Mama Dragons, their mission and goals, uh, as well as the Parachute e-learning program that they put out recently to help parents, families, communities, providing knowledge and tools resources needed to understand, support, and celebrate LGBTQ children. So stay tuned for that part two, which is just as interesting. Again, thank you for listening to the Face Transition Podcast. This is your host, Juliana, and I will see you next time.